So Kwanza Kwanza means an uncomfortable conversation. Hmm. I'm going to tell you something you feel uncomfortable about. Hmm. We're going to discuss something that is going to strike you, surprise you, and I want to see your reaction towards it. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of My Black is Transnational. And coming up on this episode, you just heard a snippet of the conversation that I have with Miss Kemi Steriki, the creator and curator of the Pansa Pansa blog, forum, and podcast. Uh, so I have a really good conversation with her, so good to the point that I adopt her as my auntie on the air, and she has not taken it back, and we just bonded from then on. Uh, so a great conversation that I want to share with you all. But before we get into that, let's go through our formalities. If this is your first time listening to My Black is Transnational, you can find this podcast on any of your favorite podcast listening apps, be it Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you like to find your favorite podcast, please find this podcast there. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, download, and rate and review the podcast. We, have, we are three seasons in, so please, if you have the time, Check out season one and season two. Check out the growth. Check out the good conversations that we've been holding since 2017 and continue to support us. We appreciate your support and your feedback is also important so that we can continue to customize and create content that you can appreciate, digest, and learn from. And if you want to follow us on social media, we are on Instagram at Black Transnational Podcast. You can also follow me, the host, on Instagram at Black Transnational underscore Check us out on Facebook at Black Transnational Podcast, and we're also on Twitter, barely, so I'm not even going to tell y'all the name, it's not even worth it, <laughs> not right now at least, but um, you can definitely email us at blacktransnational17 at gmail.com, and you can check out our website at www.blacktransnational.wixsite.com slash podcast. All right, that's how you get in touch with us. Regarding my conversation with Mrs. Kiseriki, or Auntie Kemi as I call her now, it was so interesting, and this is why... Again, I love doing this, and I've said this in countless episodes, that doing this allows me the opportunity to really meet very interesting people who are doing a lot of amazing things, who have transnational identities, or want to learn more about transnationalism, or are living it but don't even understand that they're doing it, but are in the process of it are doing so many amazing things. So she emailed me because she heard our growing up immigrant conversation, and she, as an African immigrant parent, wanted to be able to share her perspective and her passion for the youth and it was very interesting because she sent me an email and she said you know I really love this episode about growing up immigrant but I really want to know I really want you to know what it's like raising immigrants or second generation immigrants and the struggles and the challenges that happen intergener intergenerationally between parents and their children and I wanted to have a forum but we couldn't get that set up but I really wanted to have her on to talk about what she's doing and what she's doing is holding her forum called Panza Panza, which means Uncomfortable Conversations in Yoruba. So we, we have a very spirited, very just great conversation, mostly her. I mean, she took off. She did an amazing job just articulating herself, articulating her experience, articulating her passion for the youth and, and bridging the gap between not just African-Americans African and African immigrants, but also parents and children. The parents that, that, that immigrated here and are trying to raise their kids here or brought their kids here and are trying to raise their kids here who have a completely different experience than growing up in Africa. And it was very, 
it was very inspiring because it's, it was like hearing my mom or hearing my aunt like say the things that I wish they had said when I was younger. Um, so, you know, and I, I know lots of you who hear this episode would be would feel the same way I felt to be able to hear an adult um, who is the same age as our parents or maybe a little younger be able to share some things that you wish our parents would have understood or maybe they didn't understand until later on or maybe they understood and maybe they expressed it and you were the fortunate one but we wouldn't hold growing up immigrant if a lot of us were fortunate you know to have that experience so I hope you all enjoy it I won't spill any more tea or I won't try to create any more spoilers but this was a very very fun episode hope y'all enjoyed as much as I enjoyed sharing it so let's get to the show Welcome to My Dad's Podcast, My Black is Change National, Season 3. You can find us on anywhere you like to listen to good podcasts. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Hope you enjoy the show. Bye. to another episode of My Black is Transnational, and today's guest is Ms. Kemi Seriki, who is the uh, founder and, and, and author of the Pansa Pansa, I hope I'm saying it right, <laughs> the Pansa Pansa um, Forum, uh, and it was very interesting how um, I ended up running into Ms. Seriki, who reached out to me, and she was um, uh, she, a listener to our Growing Up Immigrant conversation and she decided to say what about the parents as well like what about us uncle like we need to be able to uh, share our perspective so i really wanted to have a conversation with her and be able to hear more about the work that she's doing in new york city um which is it's, so it's a it's a pleasure and an honor to be able to have you on um thank you so much for joining the show how are you doing today yeah, I'm doing fine thank you for having me i've been looking forward i've always looked forward to talking to African young generation who were born here yeah. or brought here at a very young age because yeah. you guys are our future. And uh, as parents, we also want to work together to build that bridges and the gap that has been going on yes. since the migration yes. into this country. So as you introduced me, my name is Kemi Seriki. And uh, actually I came to this country in the early eighties. Oh. And when I came to this country, Many of us who came from Nigeria, even before me in the 70s, in the 60s, the purpose is just to come, go to school, and, and go back, back home, mm -hmm. majority of us. Mm -hmm. So at that time, uh, what was going on in America, where you, that you want to talk about issue of race, um, cultural identity, or whatever political issue going on in this country, you just uh, don't look into all that because your focus is just go to school, pack up your bag, and go back home. Many of the people at that time were not having children mm -hmm. here. Many may come as a single person, or they may bring their wife and have children, but they were, we didn't really integrate into mm -hmm. this society. When I came to this country, I remember at that time, 
Naira actually was more powerful than dollars. Yes. Yes. When I came here in the early 80s, Naira was two Naira, I mean, one dollar to two dollars. Mm -hmm. One Naira to two dollars, yeah. To two dollars. Yeah. So the economic situation all over different parts of Africa was really booming. Mm. So you feel like uh, there's no point in you staying around. You just have to go back home. So, um, but by the time many of us in the early 90s graduated, we started seeing that things were changing back home. Hmm. That was when the structural adjustment program began in different parts of Africa, whereby the structural adjustment program indicating that um, the uh, IMF <laughs> start putting tax on African resources, devaluing our money, hmm. importing food, whereby Africans were not producing too much to feed their population, as actually to continue to create job opportunities mm. for the younger generation or the Africans who are coming back home. Because when I was growing up in the 60s and the 70s back home, when people come from abroad and they come, to Niger they come back home to Nigeria, there's plenty of jobs. Actually, at that time, the government will actually give you a flat mm that you're going to live with your family. And not only that, at that time, you could all, they will also give you, uh, I, I remember PJ 404 at that time, mm -hmm. that they give oh, to oh, yeah. grads who are just coming back. You get a driver, you know, you live a life of promising. Mm -hmm. But around that 90s, things were changing in a very high number. And you see many people that, actually they went back home to settle they are complaining that things are not working the way is expected to be working back in in nigeria mm -hmm. so many of us who are actually graduating school that we focus on certain area of education certain area of specialization thinking that that will fetch you a better job back home we're changing our mind mm. and many decided on staying so after you stay, you cannot hold your life back. Mm. You have to start integrating mm. yourself. Yeah. So you have to start having family yeah. and raising your children. That's when the challenges comes in. Mm. So for me as a parent myself, because I have two I, um, adult children, mm -hmm. you know, my, my, first, my son is 26, my daughter is 22. I would say I didn't start having children until 10 years later mm. that I came to this country. Compared to other of my peers who came in at that time, that when they came, maybe one or two years, some of them have children, you know, because they came with their husband or a man who came, uh, men who came with their wives. Mm. So then you start seeing the challenges yeah. that is so foreign to us. Because we all grew up back home in Nigeria in, in a society whereby we're all white, blacks. Right. Yeah. And we, we didn't identify ourselves in terms of race. No, it's money. It's status. <laughs> Not yeah. only in money, we identify ourselves as cultural, control, you yeah. know, which area, culture did you belong That's to? That's true, very true. Are you Yoruba? Are you Igbo? Or are you Ausa? Mm. Nobody was, uh, or, like you also said, you know, in terms of social economic status, mm. 
the rich versus the poor or you know uh gender you know i mean mm -hmm. i won't say gender identity male versus female mm -hmm. you know that's what is uh, uh, culturally accepted mm -hmm. and i could go from um lagos where i was born to kaduna the only thing they will know me as oh she's from lagos she's yoruba mm -hmm. nobody will identify me as oh you're black or you asian or you any other race because we didn't come from that kind of background yeah even though we were colonized by the british but we never lived in a racialized society mm. so being that it took me 10 years over to start having you know family and have my children it allows me to actually integrate into this society of the dynamics of american society what is it all about mm. And uh, I had I've, have a diversity of friends among African-Americans, among uh, people from the Caribbean, among the Latinos and uh, different people that I come across and work with. So I started understanding the uh, dynamics of what it is to be black in this country mm. and having children in this country. What is it like for them? to grow up in a racialized society that I have no understanding. How do I go about raising the children in a racialized society that as an African, I only have immigrant experience. Mm, wow. I don't have black experience. Wow. Because black experience is historical. Mm -hmm. So from that, because one thing I also want to tell you is that when I came to this country, uh, the idea of um, us being colonized by the British, we think they came to civilize us. Help us yeah. We thought British actually came to open our eyes into the lightness because we didn't have no enlightenment. Because how did that learning took place? because they were the one who designed our curriculum. Hmm. What do you see that we have to learn? The colonization was what took place in Africa to divide the continent the way it is. Hmm. For me to be speaking English as a national language in Nigeria. So when I came to this country, I mean, know I'm going back and forth no. into conversation. No, keep, keep going, this is great. Uh -huh. When I came to this country, and I took a class in Black Studies. And to actually let me understand what slavery and the institution in this country was all about. It was really an eye opener and didn't even open my eyes enough. Because if you want to learn about the struggle, the injustice in America, you have to step away from the academia. Mm -hmm. Because there's certain academia work, academic work that they will never allow into the uh, institution mm -hmm. of American educational system, mm -hmm. because they compare it to be too radical. Mm -hmm. So they have to uh, ra rather have a whitewash 
from the wide gazed, you know, yeah. lenses yeah. of history. Yeah. And it's not mandatory for you to take black studies. It's considered it's social, social studies. Yeah. Instead of including it as part of American history. Yeah. So why I went back into that, because I never understand what colonization has done to African continents until when I came here and I studied Black history and Black studies. Mm. Not only from what I've been taught in school, but from the grassroots activists. But what inspired you to to go and even look up black history because it very it sounds very similar to my own i didn't i wasn't forced to do it something just yeah. told me to go and just my curiosity led me to go and explore black history it mm -hmm. wasn't something that we were as you mentioned i think it's something that was passed on historically we always knew about history world history british history things like that mm -hmm. even american white history but black history what inspired you to go and seek that knowledge because i'm black because I've been given identity as being black in America. Mm, mm. Because I say, as, as an African, it's not written on your forehead. Mm -hmm. Asian, when they come to this country, they as identify as being Asian. I am as they identify as being black. Mm. It's only when I open my mouth <laughs> that they really will know, different. oh, yeah, okay, you know, you are not really black America. Where do you come from? Yeah which is another conversation on itself. Yes. When it comes to um, the relationship between people of color, African immigrants, as well as other people of African descent. Yes, we have to have that conversation today, please. In the diaspora, <laughs> as well as here. So um, that, that was what pushed me and having my own children as well. Mm. Because with my children, uh um in this country when they started going to school i found out that i have to do double triple extra work hmm. as an immigrant parent why like what was the what was the work that you felt what was the work was that um initially when my children were going to school were pre in predominantly black environments mm -hmm. but whereby is also other with other people of color. And I had to find out in a hard way that even among other people of color, as an African immigrant, I have to prove myself extra. Oh. That the stigma that they have towards African that has been implemented since the time when Africans were brought, in, brought to this country and enslaved mm. for over 400 years ago, that stigma that they have for the African continent continue to spread from that time that Africans were born, brought here. That is lack civilization. We are primitive society. Mm -hmm. is a society whereby, you know, poverty, all kinds of negativity that you could associate with mm -hmm. is associated. So I have to prove myself not only to the structural, um, what am I going to call it, institutionalized racism in America, but also to other people of color. Mm -hmm. Because Africans were seen as beneath of every other immigrants in this country. 
or every other person of color in. You know, I have to prove myself to the African-American, to the people of the Caribbean, to the Latino, name it. To the extent your children that they are growing up in this country, you have to fight extra harder for them. Because everybody assumes when you open your mouth, you have an accent, you must be an illiterate. That they have to spell things out to. Yeah. You know, so it, it, it was a lot. Raising the children. So that's why when I listen to your podcast said no i have to i, I have to talk to our youth because that's part of uh, what i've been doing through uh the panza panza so i started panza panza in 2017. that thought has been in my brain since my children were young in this country mm. because i say immigrant parents i now understand that like i said i have to do double work and for me to have that awareness, I was also thinking, how many African parents is worked enough to have that awareness that I am carrying around? Mm. And also talking to many of our youth who were born here or brought here at a very young age about their struggle. What is it that you're going through? What are your struggles? And I see that many of them complain and say, Many of our parents do not understand our struggle. Yeah. They, they, of course, they bring the culture in. They want to teach about that, teach us, they teach us about the culture, but they do not understand what are the issues that we're going through. Many African parents don't listen to their children. They don't try to find out the innermost struggle that they're going through outside the home because one thing we have to realize is that with our african culture is within our household yeah yeah the dominant culture out there the is the culture. white culture, the white culture yeah. it's not even the a culture of the yeah. uh, uh, african america that yeah. they developed yeah. for over 400 years ago it's white culture so and uh I've also spoken to many African immigrant adults and asked, do you understand what it is to be black in this country? Do you understand what it is? Even though they understand the discrimination that they might be facing. Mm -hmm. But many may feel like, oh, I'm facing discrimination because of my accent. Mm. And also because I'm black also, but mostly because of my accent, because other people of other, you know, of the same race as me, mm -hmm. also discriminate against me mm -hmm. because I'm from Africa. So I'm going to make sure that I do the best with my children who are born here to make sure that they're not going to come, they won't have an accent just like I have. I have. Right. So I'm going to make sure I push them, you know, to go to school, study well, do everything that they need to do so they could achieve that you know, American dream, the highest of edu education that they could achieve, so that I don't have to worry about anything. Mm -hmm. But they are not looking at what are the struggles those children are actually going through in that even environment that many of you guys have to co-switch. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Very much so. You have to study the environment where you are, even though you might be among other people of color who actually is receptive of your African background. Mm -hmm. So that's part of what actually pushed me mm. to start the conversation. And not only because of also that, because I've also engaged since my children were in school. Like I said before, the, my children were going to predominantly black school, but as time goes on, I found out about some other school system in, the, mm -hmm. in New York City called Independence School, which is predominantly white school. And they have conversation. The, every independent school within New York actually have affinity uh, club whereby they discuss about race and uh, identity, race and identity. Mm -hmm. And it's a very big conversation in those environments. Yeah. And I said, I'm not just going to put my children here without, get, without me getting involved in this conversation. And I find that when I'm among the this group of other people of color, because it's not only black people among them, you have, uh, I mean, when I say black people, African-Americans, mm -hmm. you have also uh, people from the Caribbean, you have the Latino, yeah. you have the Asian. So yeah. all the people of color gather together, we having conversation in this, you know, uh, group, yeah to be able to understand how do we <laughs> continue to survive in this environment? Or demand for what is our children you know, actually need in terms of being able to bring the diversity in this kind of school system. Mm. So then I find out that sometimes, in many cases, as an African, sometimes my voice is kind of like quiet down mm. within the group of other people of color. Why? Even Why? the African-American, because, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, we, are, you, we don't even, we're, we've been here, we understand, you don't, you, we need to teach you something, yeah. which is, it's okay. okay. But I'm also facing challenges from you as well mm. because you are, you are not understanding that i'm not just facing discrimination based on my skin color i'm also facing it because of the continent that i came okay. from yeah. so uh being that my children were in this school so i said what can i do <laughs> to make things you know uh in such a way that when even though my children were born here when they mention mention uh, talk about africa my kids won't be hiding under the table and say, oh my God, we don't want anything to do with that continent. Exactly. Because I've heard from even African-American parents who said, anytime they're talking about slavery in the classroom, it's as if their own children wants to hide under the table. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, there's no way my, I, I, I want them to hide on that table when they mention Africa. So. Sometimes you don't understand, you may not know that you have certain talents mm -hmm. until when certain things forced you to it. So I said, what can I do? So I remember at that time, actually this book I have here, uh, Window to the Soul. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I bought it from one of the Nigerian photographers. It's not actually a photographer, it's a, 
his, um, what do they call it, as his uh, career choice, but it's just an hobby for him. Mm -hmm. He's actually a medical doctor, but he takes photographs and, you know, develop it and formulate it into a book. So the, the book is actually indicate pictures of African children mm -hmm. from different part of Africa, and he put it in a photo uh, picture book. So I took it to the school. I said, I, I want to start doing storytelling. And the first storytelling I'm going to do is called A Day in the Life of an African Child. Oh. Wow. <laughs> and I went there and, you know, I did that. And the children were so amazed, even though African children may not have toys. Yeah. But they see them playing with uh, cans of tomatoes, you know, playing kitchen with everything that they could find in their environment. Mm -hmm. They see them rolling tires on the, uh, uh, in the neighborhood. They see them jumping ropes. They see them jumping on top of something to be able to see their, um, what do they call it, their sport ability. Mm -hmm. They see them with their friends, you know, just hanging out. And some of these kids, you know, I said, oh, wow, we actually have so much in common. And they actually admire African children more because they still imagine our parents have to buy us toys in order for us to come up. Yeah, they're creative. With something to play with. But these children actually play, they play in kitchen because they see them sitting down, setting up fire, you know, something similar to uh, cooking, mm. playing kitchen in their environment, in their natural environment. So I said, wow, this is really interesting that they are very receptive to this. Mm. So then I started doing traditional African story, folk tale in the school. So every year I do traditional folk tale. And before I start the story, I bring three different African map. Okay. Because I just don't go into this class and tell stories. Mm. Try to educate. I go into the class to also tell them how African became what it is today. I brought the African map before colonization, mm -hmm. African map after colonization, and African map that indicates which colonial master went to where. Mm, wow. And what language do they impose on Africa? Wow. We talk about the Berlin Conference. Mm -hmm. In the 1900s, yeah. And so, so that they, they're not just looking and thinking that this, you know, I didn't come from nothing. Right. So all this thing is the part of the background that I have that brought me to start the Pansa Pansa Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so, I'm so enthralled in your, in this, in your storytelling. I feel like I'm listening to one of my aunties just explain something to me, which I really appreciate. Um, it makes me feel much, um, much younger but it, but but the thing about it that i even want to ask is that regarding your own experience raising your children the first question i ask is how are you able to balance that expectation of maintaining your african identity but mm -hmm. also trying to make sure that your child can still take advantage and have the best of what this american world has to offer because that's the whole concept of what my my work is, transnationalism, mm -hmm. building that bridge between Africa and America and using it 
effectively both sides that dual citizenship that we as a younger generation even the older generation have where you stay mm-hmm. close to home you have family home and everything but like how are you able to as a parent still be able to make sure that your children don't lose themselves in america as what we've been warned as a child i was warned don't get lost in america you're african how did you find that balance or try to get that through your children's um ears as they were going growing up one thing that i accept which many of our African parents may not accept is to understand that, to acknowledge their black identity. Mm-hmm. Because another thing that I did recently, I, I, I actually held a group uh, through Zoom recently and I asked African parents to identify themselves. How do you identify yourself? you wouldn't hear from African parents say, I'm black American. They're African. They won't say I'm African American. They will say I'm a Nigerian. I'm from Ghana. Mm. They connect with their heritage. Mm -hmm. But they are not saying that their children' identity is dual. Mm -hmm. So is theirs as well. Mm So. For me to acknowledge of their black identity was very important. And to also uh, indicate that the certain part of our culture that is not gonna work here. Mm. That I have to have an open door, open communication. We have to be able to dialogue back and forth. Mm -hmm. I have to be able to listen to them to understand what is it that they're struggling with? What is their opinion about something? How do they feel about things? Mm. So even though um, we might want to say, well, you know, uh, this is part of our culture. This is what I want you to do. You have to focus on what we I'm asking you to do. I have to be able to give and take as well. Yeah. So that was very important to me as a parent to do. And uh, I've always tell this story. I remember one time my son, uh, he, came, he came around and he said, oh, can I talk to you? I want to talk to you about something. And you know, African parents is like, you know, so it's so upset, you know, because I saw he, he appears very upset and very, uh, aggressive in terms of being able to wants to express what he was feeling on these you know I, and i was kind of upset too and i said yeah say what you have to say i mean i'm sitting here it's not as if i'm running away mm. and he walked away he said forget it i said why did you say i should forget it i'm sitting down you're telling me i should forget it he said because your body language already indicated to me that you already make up your mind mm. so what does it matter if i want to say anything so then I have to sit back and also continue to watch my body language mm. when they have to express themselves to me that sometimes maybe they might be upset. It might not actually directed to me. It might be a couple of many things and it's okay if they lash out and let them, uh, you know, uh, express themselves. But I still understand that I still have to stand on my point and acknowledge what is it that 
they are strong, they, they might want to express or the yeah. opinion about something. Yeah. I still have to say, I understand what you're saying. And one, another thing that I, I learned to do is that um, sometimes our children may not just want to hear your advice. They just want you to listen. Mm-hmm. Instead of giving advice all the time, just for you to listen. So it's part of what I'm, I've adjusted, I mean, I've adjusted. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, growing up back home, there's certain things that I didn't agree with even before coming here. In terms of severely punishing kids or mm-hmm. talking down or, you know, on your, your children or the younger generation yeah. that I, I never agree with growing up back home. So a lot of all those things is some of the stuff that I tend to have, have done a way to and the other day when I was doing my recording about uh, Home Divide, uh, which I'm going to talk to you about, uh, my podcast, the way it's designed, okay. is two of us. It's one of the young ladies who actually have been involved in my conversation in Pansa Pansa Forum that we're going to, we are uh, co-podcasting it, co-hosting okay. it together. And the reason why... I design it that way is because we want to be able to model to African immigrant community that it's okay for the younger generation to have conversation with older generation. I'm going to come out and respect her opinion and acknowledge what she's saying to me. And she's also going to listen to my opinion and acknowledge in a respectful manner. You know, so it's all part of those conversations that, you know, I've been pushing for. So for me, like I said, as a parent, it's for me to be able to understand that certain things, certain cultural value that we carry from home, certain things that we do back home does not work in this country. Because Mm. you have to allow your children to be able to express themselves, to be able to have conversation with you. Because like I said before, there's a difference between immigrant experience and black experience. Yeah. I could only give my children the immigrant experience, but I have to also learn the black experience and see what is it that I could bring in yeah. and let them understand. So how much of how much of the how much of the African like let me rephrase that. So how how involved are you still now with your people in Nigeria, and how involved have you gotten your children to be with Nigeria and family there? If you still remain in contact with them, you mean for my my own family back your home? Own, yeah, for your own family, because I want to know from your experience how connected do you still feel to Nigeria, and how connected do your children still feel to Nigeria? No, they're they're very well connected. Okay. That's good. I mean, I mean, since we've been in the, uh, they've been here. Um, my children has never been to Nigeria, mm. and to me, one thing that I, another thing because I wrote an article on that on my website, whereby we believe um, we have to send our children back home to go and learn culture. I see we don't have the culture in ourselves. Mm. 
I have the culture in me enough to teach my children about the culture. Mm. I don't need to send them back home to go and learn the culture in order for them to, for me to implement that in them. Yeah. So of course they intermingle among other Nigerians here, other Africans that mean where my, my, even the school where my children went to, both of them, they have other African children also who were there. So it is not a, uh, about just um, sending them home or having other Africans' children around them or other African immigrants around them mm -hmm. for them to learn the culture. If I'm answering your question yes, right. Yes, you are, you are, you are. Mm -hmm. So the, my whole idea is as a parent, if you have the culture in you, you always implement what is what is appropriate for your own family, what is not. Because another thing I've seen, <laughs> you, when I go inside deep into our community, whether you're talking about churches or mosques, mm. how do other adults relate to our children within our community? Why do certain children get, uh, gravitate towards certain adults? within a church of monks, what kind of personality that person has that makes those younger gener younger ch children come close to them? What is it about other ones that they are not coming close to? Uh -huh. Because when we're talking about the idea of um, community coming together to pull together and you know empower and embrace our children there has to be certain balances that has to take place so that that for me like i said um my kids they intermingle with other african immigrant children here as well <laughs> and yeah uh, that's all to it. So do they? So do they ever aspire to want to go back to Nigeria? For for them? Yeah, just to go back. Do they? Do they ever ever said? Oh, no, my, no. not at this time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because, like I said, uh, for me, as um, as a parent, my actually my daughter went to South Africa last year. Okay. Uh -huh, for she went to study abroad you know she she went to stay there for like four months or so but if they want to fine but yeah. at this time the situation in nigeria is not really safe yeah. because of the issue that is going on yeah, and so. uh for the time when they were growing up i didn't take them because as a single parent <laughs> i had so much yeah. to to focus on yeah because for me, I rather put the money on what was more, everybody have what is important to them. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? For me, uh, at that, you know, when they are growing up, going back to Nigeria or learning culture in Nigeria is, 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 is not something that is high of importance to mm -hmm. me. Because like I said, I have that culture in me. Mm -hmm. 
even when you look at the YouTube video now, you look at everything going on in Nigeria, you think all these people are from America themselves. <laughs> <laughs> because how much culture yeah. can you learn in a place that is so, is it is so engaged, you see, I mean, how, what, what, how would I even say it? It is so mixed. Many times with Western value yeah. or, or values or European values. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time uh, uh, in New York here, we have Nigerian Independence Day Parade. And uh, I usually, my children usually go with me, especially my daughter, she's always around going with me. And when they were young, I put them, they actually do African dance. Uh -huh. When my daughter was about four years old, I put her in Mommy and Me African dance class. And she did a traditional African dance until when maybe she was about seven. We even brought the African dance to the school to <laughs> teach in after school program, yeah. just to bring the culture in. Yeah. And when my daughter then, me and uh, my daughter and I, we went to Nigeria Independence Day. And they said, oh, here comes, we're going to do traditional uh, Nigerian dance. And she looked, she said, is this? traditional Nigerian dance, she was confused. Yeah. Because it's completely different from what she's been exposed to as even traditional Nigerian dance yeah. or um, the Yoruba dance or the Igbo traditional dance. It's, it was completely different from what she, she knew. Um, so I'm just trying to bring that to you in terms of what is the culture that we're trying to teach? Right. Is it the diluted one? When you go to Nigeria, almost everybody is speaking English. And when you, uh, when uh, some of our children who also come from Nigeria within two years, yeah, they already speaking without, you know, trying to hide their accents. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but for me, for my belief, the most important thing is that, you know, teaching them myself yeah. and seeing what works, what yeah. doesn't really work. Yeah. No. What What I really enjoy about this is is the, I I truly appreciate your per, how perceptive you are, because a lot of the things that you're saying, I know for a fact it took my mom, it took my mom see a long time <laughs> to be able <laughs> to be able to. Is honestly it, it was it wasn't until maybe I would say I think I talked to my mom maybe like four weeks ago, and we had a conversation. And not that I got off the phone with her right before I talked to you, but like I talked to her maybe four weeks ago, and it was so interesting. Now that I have my son, and the way she yes. was telling me to treat my son and treat my daughter, um, and you know, like I think my wife must have said something to her in a stern way. And my mom was like, "Don't, don't raise your voice. Don't go and raise your voice. Don't raise <laughs> you know." And I said, "Mommy, I said, how can you say that? <laughs> like you were just yelling everything I did. You were like, and you know, she said, she said, you know." They call me Kelly. So she's like, Kelly, okay. she's like, to be honest with you, I've learned so much mm -hmm. being in this country that about how you talk to children, right? Like she was saying, you need know, to talk to your daughter now, like she's a growing girl, right? My daughter's about to be 10. So she's saying, you need to talk to her like a growing girl. You can't be talking to her. And then mm -hmm. he said, this generation is completely different. So you, you, mm -hmm. you have to adjust. Mm -hmm. You have to mm -hmm. adjust. And she said, me too, even at my age, and I have to learn. So it's so interesting that it took my mom all this while. I mean, I'm 30, 31 now, <laughs> you know, and I'm just yeah. like, why did you, you know, but it's so, so I'm, I'm wondering for the parents that you have interacted with, how receptive 
are they to the messaging that you're sharing about taking back, taking a, a step back to listen to your children, allowing them to speak their voice? Because I know for a fact that some of the people that you, you heard me talk about from my show, my episode, they didn't have that similar experience of being, it was very ironclad, very, you know, ruling with an iron fist type of environment. So, so how receptive are parents that you've been talking to recently to the new, to the way you're being encouraging them to be more open-minded, so to speak? It's, it is wasn't that much of, they are not too receptive because mm. like I said to you, <laughs> when I first started this uh, Pansa Pansa in 2017, so what I did, I went into, let me first start in this sense. Okay. I started it in such a way whereby recruited many African first generation born here or brought here at a very young age. Mm -hmm. The forum was designed in a way by, whereby they sit down in form of as a panelist mm -hmm. and they talk about their experience growing up in this country. And the, uh, the group of these presenters are very diverse not only from Nigeria, Ghana, Ivory Coast, Gambia, Mali, mm -hmm. Senegal, Neme, mm -hmm. both Christian and Muslims. Mm -hmm. From Christian home and Muslim home. So when they started talking, they presenting it in front of audience of parents, mm -hmm. as well as their fellow uh, younger generation. The youngest I ever had in the forum was 19 year old. Okay. Many of them were actually very older. Mm. I had a, a young man, I will call him, who was like, he was 40 when he told me at that time. Yeah, from Ghana. And he, just like you, he has become a father. And he talked about how when he grew, when he was growing up, whereby the father would tell him that, listen, when you come into this house, this is Ghana. The moment you open that yeah. door, this is Ghana. Yeah. When you are outside, that's America. America. Yeah. But when you are inside, you are in Ghana. Yeah. And he expressed what he went through growing up with his, his, his parents in the household. And I had another young man from Gambia who also expressed his own struggle as well growing up within the household whereby he felt, just like we're talking about now, that um, Africa was a place of punishment mm. because his parents used to tell him, if you misbehave yourself in school, That's we are sending you. you to Gambia. Yeah. Yeah. He said to the extent that he looked at going uh, uh, Gambia as a place where they send children for punishment. Yeah. So that thing stays in his head. Yeah. He said to the extent he was going through so much emotionally he was even you even said it during the forum that he was contemplating of hurting himself mm. Mm. because of what he felt that he had nobody to express himself mm -hmm. to or to talk to mm -hmm. so and uh i've had about four three or four forums mm. because i it was only i'm the only one doing it yeah. If I find one of the uh, youths, you know, who wants to come in and help out and uh, help organize, fine. But most yeah. of the time, I'm the one running around most of the time. So that gives me limited number of uh, uh, events that I could have, mm -hmm. you know. And being that it's non-profit, 
-hmm. you know, I'm the one pushing whatever penny, few dollars I have, I push it in it. So many times, many of the parents were very forceful in terms of they are not that receptive. Mm -hmm. But as the conversation continues, they kind of get in it little bit. They are getting it a little bit. And, and why do you think, one thing that I saw regarding um, some of the conversation you have in your show, yes. like you said, many of the youth, they say, oh, you know, African parents, you know, they don't want to listen, it's high on high. Mm -hmm. We have to, I understand the criticism, but we have to, we cannot solve things without going deep into the origin of it. Yeah. Why do you think the parents are the way they are? Why do you think they don't allow their children to play outside? Yeah. Because I've heard some of our YouTubers who actually sometimes give false information. Oh, our parents don't want us to play with black people. Or they don't want us to play, but without understanding why they made that decision, which I'm not saying that your parents actually may actually say, mm -hmm. don't play with black people, or mm -hmm. some may have actually said that. Yeah. I'm not sure. I can't speak for everybody. But we came, I'm just going to give you back to where we came from. Mm -hmm. We came from an environment whereby there's so much interrelation with the people that we live with. Back home, raising children was not such a big challenge. Mm -hmm. We grew up in an environment whereby there was a uh, common shared values yeah. around your neighbor. You know who is next door to you. Yeah. Everybody goes in and out of each other's house. Yeah. Even 10 blocks away, you know when they move to that place. Yeah. Even if you don't know them, they might say, uh, your child got in trouble with so-so person from so-so-so-so person's family. Mm -hmm. From Oluwo's family, you know, okay, I don't know who Oluwo is. You're talking to them, so, ah, you don't know these people. They just moved down to this uh, area 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. If your child get into a fight with their own children, you know how to go and, uh, to the parents and say, what is going on with our kids? Mm -hmm. Look how they're fighting each other. You solve it amicably. Yes. But... For African parents who are here, who, uh, house raising children, there's so much challenges because you don't even know who is next door to you. Yeah. You're not going to knock on their door and say, um, I think your child just fought with my child just now. Without them saying, okay, we see each other in court. Mm. Mm. Or the, the whole system of arresting children. Mm -hmm whereby it is so foreign to many of us. Imagine in Nigeria, if they say somebody got arrested, what comes to your mind? <laughs> it's yeah, they miss it. It's something bad. Yeah, it's something bad. It's and you, even though you understand the person, the person may understand or may not understand that the person is not guilty yet because yeah. they haven't had any trial to find out whether the person is guilty or not. Yeah. It is un uh, uh, unimaginable, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, 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 what I would like to call it is an unimaginable event mm. that we see who happens to someone. I remember, you know, uh, one time we were passing by the courthouse and we see the line of people lining up for 
you know, waiting to go into court. One of my relatives who came from me said, uh, how come, why are these people, what are they waiting for? I said, they're going inside the court. Why are they going, why so many people going inside the court like that? For what purpose? So that's part of the idea of black experience that we don't have. Yeah. Or American experience that is so foreign to us. So the idea that your child may get into trouble, and that trouble you don't know may lead even to family chaos of deportation yes. and immigration. Yes. yes, yes, So sometimes when I hear some of our younger generation saying, oh, our parents don't want us to, you know, talk to black people, or they don't want us to talk to other, other, uh, 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 other uh, people of color in this country because, you know, they just want... They might not, knowing many of our people, African parents may not fully explain why. Mm -hmm. Because that's where the communication comes in as well. Yeah. May not fully explain why I do, I do not want you to go out and, you know, get in trouble. And it's not because uh, all black people out there are getting into trouble no. or all people of color are getting, but because we're living in black community, we're not living in white environment. Yeah. Immigrants who came to this country, many, many, most of African immigrants lives in, live in minority environments. Yes, yes. So is many immigrants who comes from Europe that they never show you that they are immigrants, mm. don't live in black neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they live somewhere yes. else. Yeah. You won't find somebody who came from Israel yesterday coming into mm -hmm. living in uh, what do they call it in the project? No. Where is predominantly black people? Is it's not gonna happen? Or from Australia, it could have an accent, but that person won't live in black community. Yeah. Or the Latino community, they live somewhere else. Because the whole institution of racism is designed that way. So for me, it is very bothersome when I see some of our youth who are saying, oh, you know, African parents, it's, it's not the right thing. We have to dig into why yeah. certain decision is being made. It's not because they don't want you to intermingle with black people or they don't want you to intermingle with other people of color. But the whole idea is that the fear of unknown is much more what uh, the prominent, what actually take precedence over everything else yeah and it makes sense because there's no there's no community right there's no i mean unless you have a church uh or, an, or, or a hometown association as we call it mm -hmm. where it's you know like is Igbo association or yoruba mm -hmm. legotion association unless you have somewhere where you have people like you said who don't have those commonly shared values mm -hmm. that you all come and meet somewhere in the united states that's when you allow your children to maybe intermingle more, but it doesn't seem like, you know, that community sense that you that you have back home, where you know the neighbors, everybody, all the way down the block, you don't know that many people, and you don't, and and, and it, it it doesn't help when you see the news and you see things that are happening to small children, kidnapping, all these things. So I it as a young child too, I felt some of that frustration, but that frustration ended very early because I did have my, one of the few things that my mother, my parents explained to me was that, just understanding where my status was as an immigrant and all the mm -hmm. environmental risk 
mm-hmm. that that I faced not understanding that this is not Nigeria. You can't just go like when I was small in Nigeria, I can be able to go leave my compound, go to my neighbor them four houses down and play. And my mom knows I'm playing there, but when I'm here, if I'm going four or five, even if I'm going up the floor to to the upstairs apartment, I need to let her know, and I need to let her know when I'm coming back, and all these things, because it's a foreign environment for a foreigner. So it makes complete sense that that's something that we need to talk about more. But I also want us, before we wrap up, I, I would like for us to briefly talk about your perspective related to the, yeah, I know that you've invested in learning more about the black experience. But there still seems to be some division between African immigrants and African Americans or black immigrants from the continent or the diaspora. What, what do you think is 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 the reason? What did you what has been your experience related to that since you've been here in the eight since the eighties? The relationship between black Americans and, and black immigrants? That comes from the whole institution of this country of Europe as well as America of how we're being portrayed towards each other Mm. African continent is being seen as uncivilized Mm. it's all form of negativity associated with the continent and then when the Africans also come in here to this country there's also in the media the portrayal of people of color that listen is your fault that you didn't make it through mm. if you are you know they, they look at you you are criminals you are this you are, you know any anything negative that you could think about mm-hmm. is being associated with other people of color in this country i'm not just going to mention african-american but other you know black latinos or the people from the island who are in this country. So it's all this negativity. So it tends to create a division. Mm. And we all have to come together to educate ourselves. Because if we are waiting for uh, this institution to teach us about who we are, we are mistaken for that. We all have to come together. And I've seen so many African-Americans, you are going back to Ghana, they want to reconnect. To me, that's a uh, um, future goal. Okay. But we need to find out how can we get along with each other here first? Yeah, yes. Thank you. <laughs> how can we get along with each other here first? Yes, yes. That you don't have negativity towards me and I don't have it towards you as well. Yes. Forget that because if you don't, I believe in digging into history, the root of things. If you don't dig into why you are where you are, you continue to make the same mistake because the same mentality you might not understand you have the mentality of the colonizer in you mm. when you go back to africa mm. you're going to view africans according to the lenses of whiteness without you even realizing that you're looking at them that way mm. another thing i want to bring out is the idea of Af- how many african immigrants who are in academia in this country, professors mm-hmm. who are teaching sociology, uh, they're teaching African studies. Mm-hmm. And then you have African-Americans who are in black studies and they're teaching sociology, they're teaching injustice. Mm. And both of these groups are not coming together. together. 
and they're so similar across the board. The yes, issues. and we are fighting the same, yeah. the same, the same, the same um, system. Yeah. Through colonization and through the institution, sure. because whiteness not only up does not only apply to america no. the white privilege it's, is all over global. the world it's a global thing it's a global privilege <laughs> yes. for whiteness yes, so they, none of them are coming together and i've been challenging because i go to forums i've been challenging when i go to forums uh, that african americans maybe you know they write a book mm. you know and uh they they uh, doing their presentation and i challenge and i ask them when are we going to start working together mm-hmm. when can we get these two groups to come together and start having conversation yeah. yeah imagine if we come together if african in the diaspora in academia come to come come together and they could be able to develop curriculum mm. for uh, children on the continent from the time when they were born in kindergarten all the way when they graduated university we learn about the true history yeah, of what has happened mm. so our, our ancestor brought here and those who were left back home. Ah. Imagine how powerful it would be. Mm. And then connect with our, 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 our siblings who are in the Caribbean, those who are in Brazil, on ah. all these four corners of the world. Ah. How powerful will it be? Ah. But it's very difficult. And those are the people who, who are in the academia. Like I tell some of my, you know, uh, people sometimes I said even when it comes to the history book who, who wrote it <laughs> who wrote it mm. who are the people who put these history books together it's not us <laughs> it's not yes. us it's not us because the white male controls every pillars of humanity mm. they control if you pay attention in this country they control the law because and law as well as political power Uh so that's one part if you see in terms of controlling because you see mostly white male in politics as well as in law Uh they control academia so if you have to write a book now you have to use their book as a reference Because what else? Where's... What else? And they oh. have peer, peer view, peer right? View. Yeah, yeah. That you need to <laughs> reference their work. Yeah. Because if not, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah, you're speaking the truth. Man. It's so crazy. And then they control what else? The corporate world. Yeah. Economy. Mm-hmm. Whereby you have to see yourself through Their white eyes. lenses in order for you to survive in that environment of white space. So as an African immigrant parents, how do I understand the white space? Mm. 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 How do I teach my children who we so-called Africans say, oh, go to Harvard. Mm-hmm. When you graduate, go you have your MBA, yeah. you could get into white space, but do you, how do you mm-hmm. survive mm-hmm. 
the culture of white space. Yeah. It's one thing to get in. It's another thing to thrive. It's one thing to get in there. It's another thing to be able to thrive and survive. That's a different, that's a different conversation. It's very true. So there's so much conversation. That's yeah. why I said I have to put this thing on. I have to start a podcast. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'll listen. <laughs> I love <laughs> said me, I listen. No, listen, seriously, seriously. I, I really, I, I, th- what you said, especially about, especially about the curriculum, that has been a, a long, a dream of mine. And it's so it's refreshing to be able to hear someone else um, who's not from my generation be able to see that. Because I've been saying this since I got my doctors in 2016. Now, one of the goals is to be able to put together a program that can be able to bring both groups together. But it was centered around, because my background is in public health, it was centered around improving health. So the program was supposed to, and one day it will happen, I know it will, but one day it's supposed to focus on trying to improve personal health activities, mm-hmm. physical activity, nutrition, stress management. But also within that program, it's supposed to have some time where both black Americans, black immigrants will come and sit down and learn about each other's culture, each other's history, and be able to talk with one another about the similarities, the differences. Mm-hmm. And if there's a difference, reconcile it, right? Because that needs to happen too. And that's so, it's so interesting to be able to hear that. But one of the interesting pieces that I never thought about was the bringing in the academics, Right, bring it in the academics. I was thinking more community, 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 which is true. But you already have people who have who are well lettered, who already have the skills and the, the the tools to be able to use and navigate academia. Who can be able to start creating curriculum? There's so many black people in education, so many black people in these fields that can be able to start building something that's sustainable, that's for us by us, mm-hmm. you know. And that's the part that's moving to me that I'm so driven by even hearing you say that i'm inspired because it needs to happen it needs to yeah, happen yeah it has to, it has to. and it, it, believe me um being that uh, my daughter this is her last year in school now and she's come across i think two african uh, professors who were born here mm. i mean african-american professor who mm-hmm. were born here or brought here at a very young age mm-hmm. who also in black studies and there's so many that could be galvanized together yeah yeah okay uh, because Africans, um, African-American, like I said, I'm an average reader. Mm. One thing I've seen within a community, which before you go, that is not being taken place among many of, our, of us, African immigrants, is that we don't read. Yes. yes. We don't read. Yes. And even coming from the parents, because we think by when I acquired that degree, I'm now a, uh, I have masters, I have all this qualification. I don't need to read anymore. No, but education is supposed to actually wake continue. up your awareness, yes. wake up your inner fire, inner fire yes. to continue to educate yourself. Yes. Because if not, many things will be spoken about you that you may not have any defense of how to tackle it. Mm. I'm going to show you a book. I, I just, I, I don't know whether you know about it. It's called, um, part of my book club. This is, I don't know whether you know this. Oh, Ijeoma Oluo. Yes, mediocre. Uh, 
I read her um, first book. Her first book, okay. so you want to talk this about this? This one just came out. Mm-hmm. So this lady cast, Isabel Wilkerson. Mm-hmm. So I bought the book, it's home, because I have a couple of books I'm reading. It's going to come as part of the book I'm going to read. And um, the other day, I Googled her name. I said, let me even see some of the interviews that she has been doing mm-hmm. regarding this book. And I listened to one hour interview that she did. If you have the time, please go and listen to it with, uh, what's his name? This guy who wrote this book. Um, what's his name? What's his name again? Brian Stevenson. Okay, okay. Okay, please look at that interview. Okay. So when she was talking close to almost to the end of it, she was describing different ethnic groups in America. And she came to the area where she talked about African immigrants. Mm. And somebody to write a book like that, to make such a statement that I think she didn't do her own work too well. And she said, African immigrants, when they come here, they don't really want to connect with African America because African Americans are seen as the bottom, as the lowest level of class in America. Mm. And she said something that is so disturbing mm. and said, um, that's why when African immigrants come here, they don't want to change their accents. Mm. What? That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. They, and that's why you see them in their African garbs, you know, their African clothes, because they don't, they want to be differentiated mm. from African American. And I said, oh my God, did you just say that? Mm. So do you ever ask somebody who came from China, who was brought up and raised in China to change his his or accent. They still continue to use the same. They they still, because that is their identity. Are you telling me I should lose my identity Mm. because I'm here? Or what is it that you're trying to ask me to do? Do you question the Latinos who come from Latin America, who are from the South America? who may be here in this country for 40 years and they speak Spanish. Some of them don't even speak English because they are within their environment Mm. because of the population, they could function. Even some of them, they don't want to learn English. Not that they don't want to learn. I won't even, you know, put it in a phrase like that. They don't speak English. America, you know, uh, actually Spanish is the second language in America. Mm -hmm. Would you say... Is because they don't want to relate to some people in this country. Mm-hmm. Would you challenge them that they should lose their cultural heritage? Or their, you know, their clothes, what they put on, how they dress themselves up? Mm. So imagine, I don't know how many people like me listen to what she had to say. Mm. And she would get away with that. Without nobody challenging her, yeah. I said, "What you?" And she was very careful. If you watch the video when she was talking about the Asians who come to, she didn't she didn't challenge them on that level. Yeah, but she felt she could say that about the Africans, African immigrants. And what do you think gave her the the authority to do that? Yes, hmm. because we. Okay, we're not into those kind of discussions. Exactly. Exactly. And we're not into those kind of reading. Exactly. 
And this is what actually, uh, you know, I really respect many of uh, uh, your generation whereby you have high level of education. You know, we're so proud of you, but you have to continue to read. Exactly. You have to continue to dialogue. You have to continue to have conversation. Part of what I want to do eventually is to start a book club, if I could get many of our people within our community to start reading. Mm. Because many things will be written about, and that's what is going to come as a policy. Mm. Because they could use this book and say, okay, let's do some of the studies here, use some of these books and use it as a way to design policy that affects certain minority in their community. Mm. I mean, I'm, we, I hate to identify us as English speaking, you know, French speaking, but we now have many French speaking, Africans from different French speaking countries. Yeah. Some of them speak French, some don't even speak French at all. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell them they don't belong or they try to, they not, they try not to relate to African Americans, that's yeah. why they speak in French. Yeah. So that's, you know. <laughs> Look, I have to just say, this has been amazing. Um, and I, I want to, I want to be, as, as a way to close up, regarding the, the Panza Panza, I, I just need for the people who are listening or watching to, to know, how, how often do you have these conversations? Because I, I'm sure for those who have listened to this, like myself, um, would be interested in finding ways to be involved in that and, and finding ways to support that because I think there are going to be lots of people from my generation who hear this who would want to say, you know what, what can we do to continue this? What can we do to continue this conversation? Because this podcast is one to start it and continue to hold it, but I think your platform is already there. We don't need to reinvent the wheel, but what can we do to support that? So how often do you meet? What is the expectations? What, what can we know about that to be able to continue to support and maintain that movement? Be because of the COVID-19, yeah. it's been very difficult to actually um, able to have a forum. Okay. Uh -huh. So that's why I also move things to online so that not it won't just take place within the Bronx. Mm -hmm. It could also take place. Uh, people all over the work will listen to it as mm -hmm. well. But the way I'm looking at it is that since uh, because of this COVID, even initially before COVID too, I was thinking that I cannot just have this conversation in the Bronx alone. Mm -hmm. I want to make it broad. Yeah. So a lot, on my website, I, I put it in there that if you think we could um, have this forum within your community, let us know. Yeah. So I'm willing being that things have really changed through Zoom now, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay, I'm willing to engage globally okay. on this conversation. Okay. And that is why I, uh, you, for all other people who want to get in touch, could email me at talkatpansapansa.org. I understand that I have to open up a Gmail account, <laughs> which is talkpansapansa at gmail.org. Okay. And also, the reason why I also name it Pansa Pansa, Pansa Pansa in, is a slang in Lagos. I don't know whether you've heard Fela before. Oh, yeah, I love Fela, yeah. I have, you know, I mean, he used many of these Lagos mm -hmm. slangs. Pansa Pansa means uncomfortable conversations. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you things that you don't want to listen to, mm -hmm. that is going to make you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm going to tell you. 
Initially, I named it Irekerido, which is in Yoruba word means journey back and forth. Mm. And I saw that Irekerido is so uh, complex in terms of uh, oh, like writing it out, people spelling it out. So one day I was actually walking out and I, you know, I put on Fela. And part of the one that I put on, he said, Pansa, I said, yes, this is what is going to be, mm. Pansa, Pansa. So Pansa, Pansa means an uncomfortable conversation. Hmm. I'm going to tell you something you feel uncomfortable about. Hmm. We're going to discuss something that is going to strike you, surprise you, and I want to see your reaction towards it. Hmm. I love it. <laughs> I, I love it. I can't, I just, first of all, I just have to also mention it right now that now that we're, I'm saying this live on the air right now, I've adopted you as my auntie, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> just so you know, I just want to say, yeah, my auntie, me now. There's nothing you can do about this thing. We are, we are bonded. We are bonded. It's no, it's no, it's no question. We are bonded. I'm saying this for everyone who's listening to this show. They know now. This is my auntie, and you shall understand. Whenever she jumps in this thing, it's auntie me right now. So because I'm, I appreciate you. I do. I do. This is very powerful. Um, this has been a great conversation just know if there's anything that me i can do to be able to help yes yes just know like I'm, I said, I'm there you have, you have many of your generation that we could actually have that conversation the way uh, for me to think about it right now many of the uh, uh members that you've uh, uh, your guests that you've in, uh, brought oh, yeah. in we could all have that conversation yeah. on the zoom yeah. yeah 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 it's something that we could have Maybe once a month. Yeah, trust me, <laughs> we can, we can. Okay, and what could also take place is to invite their parents to come in. Uh huh. Uh huh. Trust me. To invite the parents, and for you to see how much in tune I'm, I'm in tune with a lot of uh, uh, what you guys have to say. I invest a lot of my time reading about books written by first generation mm. many of youth like you part of uh, uh, this is one of the books that i did a review on okay a note of a black you know yeah. uh, this guy actually his mother is african-american the father is from nigeria is Igbo, oh, and nice. this book also best times uh, a particular kind of a black man mm. i did a review on my website on it this is by uh, Tokwe Sholari, who, of course, is a fiction, but like he said during his interviews, actually, most of the stuff is true story mm. uh, regarding immigrant experience, African immigrant experience growing up in this country. Mm-hmm. So I read a lot of books like this to understand what are the issues many of our youth are going through. And we don't know what will come up from this like you yeah. said you are part of a public health uh, person whereby yeah. what are the issue as a parent you two you are going through yeah. in this country regarding your health stress you know yeah regarding yeah. how sometimes you stress yourself the stress is actually impacting your own health in yeah. itself yeah. so i'm i'm open Okay, I'm gonna give you my information. I'll give you my Please. number and everything. Yes, yes. You know. We will take it. I'm going to talk more with you offline, but you know, right now on the 
on the interim, we just have to wrap up, and I just want to say yes, again, yes, you know, nah, yes. Nah, nah. Anthony, thank you so much. <laughs> this you're has welcome, been you're welcome. This has been and thank great. you for having me. Thank you for giving me opportunity to come here and actually talk about some of the challenges that we're facing within our community. I really uh, admire what you're doing. Thank you. Because thank you. I, I didn't even tell you I came up with your webs, uh, your your stuff anyway, your podcast. But I will let you know that later on. Okay. I really admire what you're doing because I'm a lover of podcasts. Mm. You know, so when I came, I said, okay, I'm going to subscribe to this. Wow. And I so far have been enjoying what you're doing. Thank you. You know, so continue <laughs> to do what you're doing. Thank you're you really so much, good, Doing a good job. Thank you, Ma. Thank you so much. Thank you so much again for jumping on the show, and I hope you all enjoyed listening to this um and we'll, we'll make sure that we have you back on again definitely definitely so that's going to do it for this episode of my black is transnational i'd like to thank mr seriki or my newly adopted auntie kemi for joining us on the show for sharing her wisdom her insight her experience and her passion and you can also now check out her recently published podcast episode Pansa Pansa Live on any any of your favorite podcast listening apps so you check this out after listening to this episode check out what she's doing with Pansa Pansa it's amazing I support it and we've already talked offline and we you know we're going to continue the conversation continue to share the conversation and create the platform to be able to have more dialogue between parents and their children and just african immigrant parents overall Um, those uncomfortable conversations are necessary so godspeed and more power to your work we are here as my black is transnational to support all of that so um, I hope you all enjoyed the episode. You can check us out on Facebook or social media at Black Transnational Podcast. Email us at blacktransnational17 at gmail.com. Follow me, the host, at blacktransnational underscore. And check out our website, www.blacktransnational.wixsite.com slash podcast. So that'll do it. Thank you so much for listening. Download, subscribe, and rate the podcast if you like what you heard. But until next time, my name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lamberts. My Black is Transnational. And I hope by the end of this, yours will be too. Peace.